Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, November 21st, 2022, the 670th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, please continue listening on a variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the show and everything else that I have up online, including the merch store at linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's pick up where I left off on Friday's show before I get into the Donald Trump Twitter stuff and everything else that's going on. At the end of Friday's show, I was discussing the new organization seeking funding, the organization led by David Brock, formerly of Media Matters. The organization is called Facts First USA, and he's basically collecting dark money and big donor money 
from globalists and other Democrat funders in an effort to smear congressional investigators and try to dominate the narrative. And in his words, they want to own the narrative. Over the course of these next couple of years, as the investigations finally shift to the globalists themselves, people like Joe Biden and his many political crimes around the world over his decades in public office, and of course, people like Merrick Garland and Alejandro Mayorkas and other members of the illegitimate administration. But Facts First USA isn't the only group operating this way and tasked with this mission. This is from this morning in Washington Examiner. Biden allied group vowing to investigate GOP pocketed $1.5 million from left wing dark money giant. And I'm sharing this because it's really important to poke holes in this media narrative. This media narrative isn't just natural news reporting. It's not reporters heading around the country and letting everyone know what's going on. This is all funded and scripted and backed by the same people funding and scripting and backing everything else we're seeing. They are implementing a global agenda. And to do that, they are attempting to control narratives. A left-wing nonprofit group allied with President Joe Biden and planning to investigate the House GOP while in the majority has taken large sums from an influential liberal dark money group records show. The Congressional Integrity Project, which is led by Democrat strategists, has been relaunched after going silent during Biden's presidency and operating minimally in 2020. The project has raked in $1.5 million combined from 1630 Fund, a group under the helm of Arabella Advisors, the largest liberal dark money network in the United States, according to tax firms reviewed by the Washington Examiner. The group is a Washington, D.C.-based consulting firm. It has been dubbed a dark money network because it manages five nonprofit groups, including the 501c4 1630 Fund that do not disclose their donors. All five groups sponsor a variety of pop-up left-wing organizations, which are not required to file tax documents with the IRS. And we've discussed Arabella before. We've discussed dark money before. The important thing to remember is that there's no way to trace who is funding these exact groups. They bring the money into the Arabella fund where it becomes fungible. They just mix it all up and then pointed off in different directions so that no one can ever say, oh, well, this person funded this and this person funded this. It erases a, a an entire level of transparency from the public. And then what they do is prop up all these tiny organizations under it that are all tasked with a specific purpose and a specific part of the overall agenda and the overall mission. They'll prop up one to go after Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Amy Coney Barrett, that sort of thing, or prop up another to exploit a mass shooting in a push for disarming the American populace. And we're going to see another one of those pushes after another mass shooting event this weekend in Colorado at a gay nightclub. And it's important to remember, as I always say, when false flag events occur, it's not that the event itself was fake and it's not that no one actually died and it's not that it's not sad when people die. But when we get one of these stories and before the details are even known 
at all. We already have a complete narrative, a total meaning of everything. And the regime is spitting out talking points about how this is MAGA extremist violence or an example of gun violence or an example of anti-gay hatred. And what we need to do to solve these problems is take away guns and pass this new Defense of Gay Marriage Act. And no matter what, we always need to remember that the no-no people are responsible for all of it. When they have already extracted a false meaning with very little detail, you can tell that they are exploiting the incident. So even if the incident itself is real, they are not concerned about the incident and they are not being honest about the facts of the incident. And that becomes immediately obvious when it does. You know, the incident is being used as a false flag and you should not believe any detail of the incident until those details are proven. It is only prudent to remain skeptical about the entire thing. That doesn't mean that in the end, the entire incident will prove false. It only means that the people who lie about everything are also lying about this, and it is worth it to figure out why. I imagine that we will continue to see these sorts of incidents happen again and again and again. Just within the last month or so, we've had a Nord Stream pipeline attack that was a false flag. We've had the Crimean Bridge attack that was a false flag. We had Paul Pelosi hammer time, which is a false flag. Again, doesn't matter if the underlying incident is real or partially real. It's that they lie about it and they use the falsely reported quote unquote facts to derive meaning and then use the incident to promote their own political agenda. Then just last week, we have a Russian missile attack on Poland to get NATO involved in the kinetic war effort against Russia as an attempt to trigger Article 5 and get the world involved. The comedic actor himself was out there blaming Russia, but it turns out it wasn't Russia. It was Ukraine. Another false flag. And then we have the incident this weekend. The good thing is that people have, for the most part, woken up to this and are becoming less afraid to talk about it. But you can bet we're going to see more of them. We may see another one this week because they sure don't want anybody talking at Thanksgiving dinner about things like election fraud or the election in Brazil or FTX or how the entire Ukraine invasion was an absolute lie from the start. The entire narrative is false, regardless of the underlying incident. The entire narrative is false. They don't want people talking about that. And they sure don't want people talking about the fact that Anthony Fauci is being deposed on Wednesday. But back to the article. In 2021, 1630 Fund granted $1 million to Congressional Integrity Project, which is also a 501c4 nonprofit organization, according to 1630 Fund's newly filed tax forms. The fund gave $500,000 to Congressional Integrity Project in 2020, according to 1630 Fund's tax forms that year. Both grants were given for the purpose of, quote, civil rights, social action, and advocacy, end quote, according to tax forms. It is unclear what other organizations have poured money into Congressional Integrity Project, and an Internet search of its employer identification number does not display other grants. 
1630 fund, which hauled in $190 million in 2021, is run by Amy Kurtz, who has worked in the liberal nonprofit sphere since 2001. The fund steered $6.2 million to liberal political action committees between January and September, according to campaign finance filings. In 2021, the fund granted over $18.9 million to the League of Conservation Voters, an environmental group, to, quote, fund the development of several climate provisions, end quote, in Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, a $740 billion energy and climate spending bill. Oh, I thought it was to fix inflation. Every time you pull back the curtain, you're going to find that the Arabella Advisors Network is bankrolling the left's newest project. Caitlin Sutherland, executive director of Americans for Public Trust, a conservative ethics watchdog, told the Washington Examiner. This time at 1630 Fund, providing millions in seed money to the Congressional Integrity Project. On Friday, the Washington Examiner went to the Washington, D.C. address listed in public records as belonging to Congressional Integrity Project. However, it was unclear if any employees were on site and nobody opened the door after roughly 45 minutes. An unnamed spokesman for the 1630 Fund told the Washington Examiner, 1630 Fund is proud to support efforts to strengthen integrity and transparency in government. Our grants to Congressional Integrity Project funded important research to ensure effective ethical leadership in Washington. Isn't that amazing? A dark money group is concerned about transparency in government. The relaunch of the Congressional Integrity Project comes as House Republicans, who will have a majority come January, plan a variety of investigations. This includes oversight into the COVID-19 origins, the alleged politicization of the Justice Department and FBI, the influx of immigrants at the border, the business dealings of the president's son, Hunter Biden, and the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan. And once again, you got to remember that the Washington Examiner, though it seems and portrays itself as a conservative outlet, is just as bought in to the global agenda as any other outlet. The investigations are into Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's crimes, not the president's son, though the fake president's son is certainly part of it. And the evidence against Joe Biden is on his son's laptop. After four years of covering up for Trump, MAGA Republicans in Congress have already made their priorities clear. Relentlessly investigating Joe Biden, historic impeachments of cabinet secretaries and likely efforts to impeach Biden himself, says Congressional Integrity Project on its website. These investigations are revenge for the past two years of Biden working every day for all Americans, not the special interests. And the article goes on. But you got that? These investigations are revenge because Republicans are mad that Joe Biden has actually been so good to the country and its people. The only way to stop the Joe Biden train of saving America, the only way to shut this thing down before America just gets too saved is for Republicans to investigate Joe Biden for doing such a good job. Now, also on Friday's episode, I was discussing the fact that on Thursday night, there was this very strange push 
by blue and on crazy regime communists on Twitter. Everyone who has completely bought into the intellectual kids table, they all decided at the same time that Twitter was probably going to just end that night. Twitter was just going to die. The whole system was going to fail because of Elon Musk messing around with it. There would just never be a Twitter again. And they were all saying their goodbyes. Well, obviously Twitter is still going and the freak out from all these people has only escalated. So on Friday evening, Elon Musk put up a poll on Twitter that said, reinstate President Trump. And for the first few hours, there were about a million votes per hour. And Donald Trump was absolutely blowing Joe Biden out of the water. It was like 65-35 that Trump should be reinstated. And mind you, Elon didn't specify reinstated to what I joked on Twitter and some people mentioned it in the chat, but maybe he should be reinstated to everything he can be reinstated to. Like, for instance, president, because he won the election in 2020. And we're getting to the point where you can say everybody pretty much knows it. They can deny it. People can deny it all they want. They can argue online about how there's absolutely no way the election can be stolen. But they are watching stolen elections in front of them with their own eyes in Arizona. In fact, the Arizona situation is intensifying in pretty substantial ways. We already heard that Cochise County was not going to certify its election. Mark Elias jumped in there and waged lawfare and found corrupt judges to make it so that Cochise County could not do a hand recount. Now he thinks he's going to go in and force them to certify. Why is Mark Elias afraid of a hand recount of votes. What is to fear from a hand recount? Well, the first thing is that it would show a different result than what the machine showed. And that in itself should be pretty frightening for these people. In fact, things like that might explain part of the motivation for this false flag gay nightclub shooting in Colorado over the weekend. People are blaming it on Lauren Boebert, who you might remember was just declared the winner of her election, I believe, Thursday night over a corrupt Democrat from Aspen named Adam Frisch. And you can look into Adam Frisch. Adam Frisch has a history of, let's say, sexual improprieties, cheating on his wife in Aspen and has provably changed his votes on various matters due to that blackmail. But Boebert was declared the winner, even though the election was decided by such a small margin that an automatic recount could be triggered. It seems like they're aiming this false flag at Boebert a little bit and trying to mask and cover over that situation in case there is an automatic recount. But Mark Elias is also going down there to cover up the hand count because we aren't supposed to learn about what a hand count would actually show. Not only would it potentially show a difference in the number of actual votes compared to the machine with its algorithm, but it might also expose fake ballots and it might expose the fact that the QR code that the machine reads that is said to represent your selections as you made them 
in the machine does not actually represent your selections as you made them in the machine. There are multiple reasons why they want to shut down any review of these elections. And it's not just Cochise County now. It's also Gila or maybe it's Gila and Yavapai County as well. The situation has gotten to the point where even old nunchucks himself, Mark Burnovich, the failure of an attorney general in Arizona, has written a letter demanding further investigation prior to the canvas and the certification coming next week. I'm just going to read the beginning and the end of the letter and kind of describe what the letter says. Dear Mr. Liddy, this is Thomas Liddy, the civil division chief of Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The Election Integrity Unit of the Arizona Attorney General's Office has received hundreds of complaints since Election Day pertaining to issues related to the administration of the 2022 general election in Maricopa County. These complaints go beyond pure speculation, but include firsthand witness accounts that raise concerns regarding Maricopa's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Furthermore, statements made by both Chairman Gates and Recorder Richer, along with information Maricopa County released through official modes of communication, appear to confirm potential statutory violations of Title 16. And Brnovich addresses in the letter a couple of those concerns, like the ballot-on-demand printer configuration settings, the problems with the machines that shut down polling places all over Maricopa County on Election Day and may have produced unreliable results. That is obvious from the machine error. Once the errors begin, everything produced by that machine should be thrown immediately into doubt. And instead, we're told, no, don't worry. We had a tech come in and fix it. Everything is just perfect now. He underestimates the number of polling locations that had problems, which immediately makes you think back to the fact that Mark Burnovich has been a failure in pursuing election crime in Arizona over the past two years. There were hundreds of affidavits, if not thousands. There were citizens with their own experience. There were machine problems. There were problems found in the Maricopa County forensic audit. And Mark Burnovich to this point has done absolutely nothing about any of it. He seems to be aligned with Doug Ducey. We can reliably guess that the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors is going to certify their election and Katie Hobbs is going to certify her own election. And then it's up to Burnovich and to Doug Ducey. And there's no reason to believe either of them will work toward the benefit of the people in ensuring elections with integrity. They haven't done it so far. We can't expect them to do it now. They had issues with Election Day checkout procedures and, of course, the ballots deposited in door three. And you can keep this list going on to no end. He wrote, Arizonans deserve a full report and accounting of the myriad problems that occurred in relation to Maricopa County's administration of the 2022 general election. As the canvas is looming and these issues relate to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results, the unit requests a response to the aforementioned issues on or before Maricopa County submits its official canvas to the Secretary of State, which must occur on or before November 28th, 2022. And while it is Attorney General Mark Bronovich's office writing this letter, this is actually from Jennifer Wright, the Assistant Attorney General. So the good part is that this stuff is obvious and it is evidenced and it is clearly a problem. Some of that is on the record that will make the story grow bigger. 
But this could just as easily be a cover up operation. You're going to have to keep your eyes on it and find out for sure what this is. Future governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, has actually just released a statement on Twitter. And here it is. Hi, this is Carrie Lake, and I have a message to the people of Arizona and all Americans. Forty days ago, elections in Arizona officially started when mail-in ballots were sent out across our state. Election day was 13 days ago, and Maricopa County is still counting ballots. Printer problems, tabulation errors, three-hour-long lines, and even longer. And confusing instructions given by election made this election day the most chaotic in Arizona's history. Half of voting centers that opened for the first time on election day, where the overwhelming majority of voters were voting for Kerry Lake, were not operational or had significant failures. Would you get on an airplane if half of the engines didn't work? Would our friends in the media be able to broadcast their nightly propaganda if only half of their studio equipment was working? The 2022 general election in Arizona was botched and broken beyond repair. Thankfully, the Attorney General's office is demanding answers from Maricopa County. Attorney General Mark Brnovich is taking the first steps necessary to remedy this assault on our democracy. This isn't about Republicans or Democrats. This is about our sacred right to vote, a right that many voters were sadly deprived of on November 8th. Tens of thousands of you have reached out, pleading with me to fight this fight. Rest assured, I will, because if we give up now, we will no longer have a country. Attorneys are working diligently to gather information. Whistleblowers are coming forward, and the curtain is being lifted. Whether done accidentally or intentionally, it is clear that this election was a debacle that destroyed any trust in our elections. Arizonans who choose to make their voice heard on Election Day should not be disenfranchised or punished for choosing to vote in person. Yet they were. I want you to know, Arizona, I will continue fighting until we restore confidence and faith in our elections. So Arizona is a mess. Everyone knows it. It is out there. It doesn't seem like they're going to be able to certify their elections. And what will happen at that point? Will they attempt to override all of this? Will the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors certify their election? Will Mark Elias be able to force Cochise and Gila or Gila? I don't know. Sorry, Arizona. And Yavapai County, will he be able to force them to certify their elections? Will Katie Hobbs sign off on all of it? Will Mark Burnovich sign off on all of it? Will Doug Ducey sign off on all of it? That is what they all did in 2020 because the election in 2020 was no cleaner than this election. They are both absolutely fraudulent and should never, ever be certified or have been certified. But back to the Twitter election. Elon Musk put up the poll. Should Donald Trump be reinstated? Trump jumped out to an early lead in the first few hours, dominating in the polling. And then Biden began making a comeback and was making a comeback consistently over the next 10 or 12 million votes. It ended with around 15 million votes. And Donald Trump did win that poll, 52 to 48. 
Now, it's worth noting that not all of the people on Twitter voting in that poll are eligible to vote in American elections. It was a worldwide poll. And of course, it was filled with bots. The ridiculous communist and technocrat professor at NYU, Scott Galloway, went on the morning shows on Sunday yesterday to claim that Russian bot farms are what won the election for Donald Trump and Adam Kinzinger, crying Adam, the useless and totally corrupt communist congressman involved in the January 6th committee and no longer involved in Congress in a couple of weeks, reiterated that claim on cable news this morning. But if there is any reason to believe that bots influenced this polling, the only reason to believe that comes from the other side, as we saw the obvious and decisive trend become reversed over time. As if we should imagine that the first few million people who voted were just such big Trump supporters. And then the Biden crowd just came in later to support Joe Biden. But it wasn't even Trump versus Biden. It was free speech versus censorship. And the communists even tried to rig that election. Now, as soon as this whole thing started, if you were on social media, you saw me joking about how we're going to see the late ballots come in. They're going to try to rig this and flip it overnight. And they did. But they failed. And we mentioned the possibility of bot armies being engaged to change the outcome of this poll. And people pointed that out. Elon Musk himself actually responded to that idea and said, yes, this is exactly what we're doing. We are catching bots here. Now, Facebook also reinstated Donald Trump. So that's two of the major platforms reinstating Donald Trump not long after he announced himself as a political candidate for the presidency in 2024. So what's the real cause of all of this? Did Elon Musk actually put this decision out for the population on Twitter to weigh in on and then go with the results as the poll indicated? Or was there something else going on and that decision to reinstate Trump and other accounts had already been made? It seems like the latter, especially with the Facebook tie-in. And people might remember a few weeks ago when Elon Musk first took over and things started getting shifted around in terms of the algorithm and the levels of censorship, we saw effects play out on other platforms. And all of that lends credence to the idea that the censorship algorithms running on legacy social media sites are maybe all the same censorship algorithm and potentially all emanating from the same source, potentially that source being Twitter. We've talked many times about these legacy social media platforms being in some way launched and funded and run by the global government apparatus, Defense Department apparatus, Intel apparatus, and serving at the behest of the organizations aligned with the global agenda. And there is still plenty of reason to believe all of that is true. It remains to be seen how this will work going forward in terms of Elon Musk's commitment to free speech on the platform. Maybe he's not even the one making all of these decisions, but this weekend has been productive. 
after the poll ended, Donald Trump was reinstated. And soon after, Kanye West was reinstated. Project Veritas was reinstated. And now we have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene being reinstated. Conceptual James, James Lindsay, is now welcome back on Twitter. And there seem to be some smaller accounts coming back to the platform as well. One person who has not yet been reinstated is Alex Jones. And Elon Musk specifically addressed whether Alex Jones would be let back on the platform right now. And he said no, which indicates at the very least that something else is going on. It is either certain that Elon Musk is not a free speech absolutist, as he often claims, but there may be something else going on there as well. There have been hints over the years that Alex Jones is somehow tied into American intel organizations. I don't know if that's true, and I don't mean to cast aspersions on the man. I think that he has brought some important truths to light over the last couple of decades, but I'm just saying it's something to look out for if it continues to take a long time for Alex Jones to get his access to Twitter back. But all in all, it was a very productive weekend for free speech. Donald Trump's account is back open on Twitter, but Donald Trump himself has not begun to use it, and he may not use it. He has said before that he's not going back to Twitter no matter what. He has Truth Social. He's happy there. And there may be some contractual situations in terms of his investment in Truth Social and his duty to the other investors at Truth Social that limit his ability to use Twitter as a primary platform. Now, whether or not that will matter in the future remains to be seen, but it's possible he'll just stay on Truth Social. But regardless of that, it is very important that Donald Trump's account is back open on Twitter. I've addressed this on the podcast before, but Donald Trump's Twitter account is a record of what Donald Trump was saying and thinking in the lead up to his removal from Twitter on January 8th of 2021. You can see just from the first few tweets in Donald Trump's account that he absolutely was not in any way attempting to incite an insurrection. It is clear that Donald Trump intended for people to go to the Capitol peacefully and patriotically, but that's not all. So let's go through Donald Trump's tweets on January 6th, 2021. And remember that the night before there was a runoff election for two Georgia Senate seats where John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock both stole their Senate seats with fraudulent elections in the Georgia runoff. Trump started in the morning. If Vice President Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Many states want to decertify the mistake they made in certifying incorrect and even fraudulent numbers in a process not approved by their state legislatures, which it must be. Mike can send it back. He followed. Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd is so happy with the fake voter tabulation process that he can't even get the words out straight. Sad to watch. He continued. States want to correct their votes which they know were based on irregularities and fraud, plus corrupt process never received legislative approval. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states 
and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. In capital letters, he wrote, the Republican Party and more importantly, our country needs the presidency more than ever before. The power of the veto. Stay strong. He went on. They just happened to find 50,000 ballots late last night. The USA is embarrassed by fools. Our election process is worse than that of third world countries. He continued. The states want to redo their votes. They found out they voted on a fraud. Legislatures never approved. Let them do it. Be strong. He continued. Even Mexico uses voter ID and went on. These scoundrels are only toying with the Senator David Perdue, a great guy, vote. Just didn't want to announce quite yet. They've got as many ballots as are necessary. Rigged election. He posted a video from his speech on January 6th. Then he tweeted, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. And finished with, I am asking everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. Does that sound like someone who is trying to incite an insurrection? No, that sounds like someone who was accurately and forcefully objecting to the outcomes of obviously fraudulent and stolen elections. The next day, he posted a speech addressing what happened at the Capitol. And here it is. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack on the United States Capitol. Like all Americans, I am outraged by the violence, lawlessness, and mayhem. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engage in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. And to those who broke the law, you will pay. We have just been through an intense election, and emotions are high. But now tempers must be cooled and calm restored. We must get on with the business of America. My campaign vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. I continue to strongly believe that we must reform our election laws to verify the identity and eligibility of all voters and to ensure faith and confidence in all future elections. Now Congress has certified the results. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. 2020 has been a challenging time for our people. A menacing pandemic has upended the lives of our citizens, isolated millions in their homes, damaged our economy, and claimed countless lives. Defeating this pandemic and rebuilding the greatest economy on Earth will require all of us working together. 
It will require a renewed emphasis on the civic values of patriotism, faith, charity, community, and family. We must revitalize the sacred bonds of love and loyalty that bind us together as one national family. To the citizens of our country, serving as your president has been the honor of my lifetime. And to all of my wonderful supporters, I know you are disappointed, but I also want you to know that our incredible journey is only just beginning. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Now, that doesn't sound too much like anything we were told by the mainstream media or by the sham and illegitimate January 6th committee. Donald Trump's last two tweets on January 8th, 2021. The $75 million great American patriots who voted for me, America first, and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. And he finished with, To all of those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. His Twitter account was taken down after that tweet. Why is it that we've been told for so long that his Twitter account and his Facebook account All these accounts were taken down because he was inciting an insurrection with social media. Well, he never did that. In fact, he spoke out against it explicitly. He also said he called in the National Guard, which he approved of days before and was turned down for that added security by D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and by Nancy Pelosi. But he wasn't just talking about his own election, nor the fraudulent certification of the stolen election on November 3rd, 2020. He's also talking about the fraudulent election on January 5th, 2021. That whole thing just got forgotten about completely. But yet we have two communist senators sitting in the Senate right now from the state of Georgia who stole their elections and their runoffs. There should have never been a runoff in the first place. That was what the actual will of the people in Georgia was in 2020, electing David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. But they kept them under 50 percent. They got the runoff and then they stole the runoff. The same thing they're attempting to do right now with the same person, Raphael Warnock, in his election against Herschel Walker. They didn't want Donald Trump talking about the fraudulent runoff in Georgia. They wanted to forget all of that and just hope that the nation would only pay attention to the very violent insurrection. And then they had another impeachment of Donald Trump about the very violent insurrection while his own tweets prove that their narrative was false. And this is why I said weeks ago, even if Donald Trump doesn't come back to Twitter, it is still going to be valuable to have his account reopened so that people can see all of this. But as soon as Elon Musk put the poll up, the freak out from the global communist side of things reached a fever pitch almost immediately. In fact, CBS News announced that Twitter was just simply too dangerous for the news organization to continue being on the platform. This is from CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. 
In light of the uncertainty around Twitter and out of an abundance of caution, CBS News is pausing its activity on the social media site as it continues to monitor the platform, Major. Jonathan Vigliotti, thank you. I guess Nora O'Donnell was too shook up to even bother showing up for work that day. But CBS News reconsidered their position and within 24 hours announced on Twitter, after pausing for much of the weekend to assess the security concerns, CBS News and stations is resuming its activity on Twitter as we continue to monitor the situation. And what are they doing? Were they actually concerned about some security situation? Were they concerned about some imaginary danger? Or were they hoping that they could just trigger some sort of reaction, get other news organizations to join them, maybe get celebrities to join them, try to make it so that no one wants to be on Twitter. Everybody's leaving because it's so dangerous. Please, everyone, believe us. We're CBS News, the former home of Dan Rather. We always tell the truth. But that was just a little bit of the freak out. Jonathan Greenblatt from the Anti-Defamation League, and this is thought to be a pro-Jewish organization. They are really only pro-globalist. He had a tweet thread. Here it is. And it's in response to the Elon Musk tweet from Saturday saying, the people have spoken. Trump will be reinstated. Vox Populi, Vox Dei which means the voice of the people is the voice of God. Greenblatt tweeted, For Elon Musk to allow Donald Trump back on Twitter, ostensibly after a brief poll, shows he is not remotely serious about safeguarding the platform from hate, harassment, and misinformation. As we've said before, Trump used Twitter to foment intolerance, issue threats, and incite a violent attack against the U.S. government. Moreover, he has shown no indication that he would do anything different if given the opportunity. When ADL and other stop hate for profit leaders met with Elon Musk on 11-1, he committed to not replatform anyone, regardless of stature, until he installed a transparent, clear process that took into consideration the views of civil society. And hey, he ran a poll and 15 million people responded. That's a pretty clear and transparent process, isn't it? Or was it Russian disinformation? Was it a Russian bot army? Is that what it was? Jonathan Greenblatt? He finished. Elon Musk's decisions over the last month have been erratic and alarming. But this decision is dangerous and a threat to American democracy. We need to ask, is it time for Twitter to go? And Elon Musk, of course, wrote back to Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League. Hey, stop defaming me. And he makes a good point. Jonathan Greenblatt absolutely should stop defaming him. And it's interesting because is anyone really supposed to believe that Jonathan Greenblatt in his work at the Anti-Defamation League is now primarily concerned with protecting Jews from anti-Semitism emanating from Donald Trump's Twitter account. Donald Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He's responsible for the Abraham Accords. 
He just spoke this weekend for the Republican Jewish coalition and received a standing ovation from them. Donald Trump is not a threat to Jews. He's not a threat to Israel. He is a friend to both. And it's strange that Jonathan Greenblatt doesn't see it that way. What other priorities does Jonathan Greenblatt have? It seems his number one priority is controlling the speech of Americans and what can be said in public on platforms like Twitter. Why is this being done under the guise of protecting Jews from anti-Semitism? Why does he feel empowered to do all of this in someone else's name? Yoel Roth, the now fired former head of trust and safety at Twitter, wrote an op-ed for the New York Times on Friday. The headline, I was the head of trust and safety at Twitter. This is what could become of it. This month, I chose to leave my position leading trust and safety at Elon Musk's Twitter. Well, did you choose to leave or were you forced to leave? Were you fired? Because reports are you were fired. And there's no reason to doubt those reports since you are exactly the type of person who has been fired for the past month. My teams were responsible for drafting Twitter's rules and figuring out how to apply them consistently to hundreds of millions of tweets per day, except they didn't apply them consistently at all. That's one of the major problems. And there's no way that Yoel Roth doesn't know this. So immediately the first two sentences of his article are both lies that he chose to leave his position and that his mission was applying the rules evenly and consistently. In my more than seven years at the company, we exposed government-backed troll farms meddling in elections, introduced tools for contextualizing dangerous misinformation, and yes, banned President Donald Trump from the service. The Cornell professor, Tarleton Gillespie, called teams like mine the, quote, custodians of the internet. The work of online sanitation is unrelenting and contentious. Sanitation? Sanitation. That is a very interesting word, Reichsfuhrer. Enter Mr. Musk. In a news release announcing his agreement to acquire the company, Mr. Musk laid out a simple thesis. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. He said he planned to revitalize Twitter by eliminating spam and drastically altering its policies to remove only illegal speech. Isn't that weird that they have to drastically alter the policies to remove only illegal speech? That is an admission that they were removing plenty of legal speech as protected by the First Amendment. And I know, I know. It's a private company. They can do whatever they want, except that's not true. And it never was true. And they weren't a private company. Even if they were, they were still censoring at the behest of the regime, which is explicitly unconstitutional. And we just heard last week, Josh Hawley go after that exact point when questioning 
Alejandro Mayorkas about the DHS's attempts to censor the speech of Americans in partnership with the legacy social media companies. They were censoring speech protected by the First Amendment, legal speech at the behest of the regime. That is what Yoel Roth was overseeing. Since the deal closed on October 27th, many of the changes made by Mr. Musk and his team have been sudden and alarming for employees and users alike, including rapid fire layoffs and an ill-fated foray into reinventing Twitter's verification system. Actually, everything's just fine. People are just mad that now they can't see a blue check and be like, ooh, that person's important. I don't have to listen to any of the people without the blue checks. Well, now your whole system is messed up. Sorry, commies. A wave of employee resignations caused the hashtag RIP Twitter to trend on the site on Thursday, not for the first time, alongside questions about whether a skeleton crew of remaining staff members can keep the service now 16 years old afloat. Ah, 16 years old. Now Joe Biden is no longer interested in sniffing Twitter. And by the way, Yoel Roth on Friday, it's now Monday and everything on Twitter is working just fine. So I guess those questions were wrong. So why was everyone asking them? Oh, it was to force Elon Musk's hand and to make people think that Elon Musk was doing something dangerous and deleterious, except he wasn't. He was just firing communists and now everything works much better. And yet when it comes to content moderation, much has stayed the same since Mr. Musk's acquisition. Twitter's rules continue to ban a wide range of lawful but awful speech. Mr. Musk has insisted publicly that the company's practices and policies are unchanged. Are we just in the early days or has the self-declared free speech absolutist had a change of heart? That is a good question. We do still need to know the answer to that question. The truth is that even Elon Musk's brand of radical transformation has unavoidable limits. Advertisers have played the most direct role thus far in moderating Mr. Musk's free speech ambitions. And again, another unintentional admission by Yoel Roth, advertisers, the organizations, the corporations who are known to be partners of the World Economic Forum and directly involved in the encroachment of the global communist agenda are the ones playing the most direct role in the moderation of speech and who gets to speak on Twitter. That's how it always has been. That is what Yoel Roth just said. It's strange that these communists think that their position is so solid and unassailable that they can admit their position over and over and over again, and no one will ever question what exactly it is they're saying. As long as 90% of the company's revenue comes from ads, as was the case when Mr. Musk bought the company, Twitter has little choice but to operate in a way that won't imperil the revenue streams that keep the lights on. This has already proved to be challenging. Well, Elon Musk is also the richest guy in the world, so he can continue to lose $4 million for the foreseeable future or for at least a little while because he has said specifically that his intent in buying Twitter was never about profiting.
it probably also doesn't hurt that he has fired all of these worthless communists. Almost immediately upon the acquisition's close, a wave of racist and anti-Semitic trolling emerged on Twitter. Wary marketers, including those at General Mills, Audi, and Pfizer, slowed down or paused ad spending on the platform, kicking off a crisis within the company to protect precious ad revenue. Isn't that strange? Pfizer no longer feels like they have a safe space to sell their deadly and dangerous products with no blowback. How sad. Also, it wasn't just the wary marketers. It was special interests like Jonathan Greenblatt's Anti-Defamation League and the NAACP and other global communist organizations putting pressure on those advertisers who are their partners in the global agenda to remove their advertising. All of that was part of a pro-censorship mission. It wasn't a reaction to changing market circumstances. In response, Mr. Musk empowered my team to move more aggressively to remove hate speech across the platform, censoring more content, not less. Our actions worked. Before my departure, I shared data about Twitter's enforcement of hateful conduct, showing that by some measures, Twitter was actually safer under Mr. Musk than it was before. Oh, so which way is it, Kami? You showed that you were doing a better job after your team was empowered and then you still got fired. What's going on, buddy? Are you going to tell us? Are you going to tell us why you left? I bet you're going to tell us any second why you left. Marketers have not shied away from using the power of the purse. In the days following Mr. Musk's acquisition, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, a global, a global alliance. Gosh, what does it mean? A key ad industry trade group published an open call to Twitter to adhere to existing commitments to brand safety. It's perhaps for this reason that Mr. Musk has said he wants to move away from ads as Twitter's primary revenue source. His ability to make decisions unilaterally about the site's future is constrained by a marketing industry he neither controls nor has managed to win over. Except it's not constrained if he moves away from the ad model. They just want those constraints because they want their system of incentives and punishments to remain in place. But even if Mr. Musk is able to free Twitter from the influence of powerful advertisers, his path to unfettered speech is still not clear. Twitter remains bound by the laws and regulations of the countries in which it operates. Ooh, so threatening. What are they going to do? Take Twitter down? Go right ahead. If you don't have your information weapon anymore, then good luck, commies. Is that going to work? I doubt it. Amid the spike in racial slurs on Twitter in the days after the acquisition, the European Union's chief platform regulator posted on the site to remind Mr. Musk that in Europe, an unmoderated free-for-all won't fly. In the United States, members of Congress and the Federal Trade Commission have raised concerns about the company's recent actions. Look at that. Our government and the governments of Europe are explicitly 
involved in the censorship regime and the promotion of a censorship regime to protect everybody. They're just trying to protect everybody. They're just trying to make it a safe space so that the digital town square can operate to the best of its ability. Because the best way to make sure that people aren't included in the conversation is to make them feel like the conversation might be a little dangerous until they block the people saying the bad things. It's not censorship. That's not what prevents people from joining the public square and having a voice in the public conversation. No, it's hearing the no-no words every now and then whenever the communists decide things have gotten really dangerous. And outside the United States and the European Union, the situation becomes even more complex. Mr. Musk's principle of keying Twitter's policies on local laws could push the company to censor speech it was loath to restrict in the past, including political dissent. Again, Yoel Roth exists entirely within the false reality. Twitter's sole purpose of censorship was stifling political dissent, and nothing could ever be more obvious. Regulators have significant tools at their disposal to enforce their will on Twitter and on Mr. Musk. Penalties for noncompliance with Europe's Digital Services Act could total as much as 6% of the company's annual revenue. Or they could just not pay them, since there's obviously no enforcement mechanism whatsoever. This is absolute nonsense. In the United States, the FTC has shown an increasing willingness to exact significant fines for noncompliance with its orders, like a blockbuster $5 billion fine imposed on Facebook in 2019. In other key markets for Twitter, such as India, in-country staff members work with the looming threat of personal intimidation and arrest if their employers fail to comply with local directives. Even a Musk-led Twitter will struggle to shrug off these constraints. There is one more source of power on the web, one that most people don't think much about, but may be the most significant check on unrestrained speech on the mainstream internet, the app stores operated by Google and Apple. So King Censor at Twitter now wants the app stores to take Twitter offline. If they can't have their toy in their hands and operate it the way they want it operated, then no one should be allowed to have it at all. I'm taking my ball and going home. But he said it once again, the most significant check on unrestrained speech on the mainstream internet. That is what Yoel Roth thought his job was to be the check on speech. He just inserts the word unrestrained to imply that there should be a limit on free speech that is still legal. Legal free speech must still be limited. According to Yoel Roth, the advertisers, the corporations, the FTC, the governments, and even the app store. It is the responsibility of all of these people and entities to make sure that legal free speech must be suppressed online. While Twitter has been publicly tight-lipped about how many people use the company's mobile apps rather than visit Twitter on a web browser, its 2021 annual report didn't mince words. The company's release of new products, quote, is dependent upon and can be impacted by digital storefront operators, end quote. 
that decide the guidelines and enforce them. It reads, such review processes can be difficult to predict and certain decisions may harm our business. So Twitter can be accessed in a web browser on your computer, on your iPad or similar device, and on your phone. You can also just put a link to Twitter's web browser on your phone, and it'll operate almost exactly like the app. Twitter's app is not a necessity, but they are going to take every possible shot at getting Twitter to be censored. May harm our business is an understatement. Failure to adhere to Apple's and Google's guidelines would be catastrophic, risking Twitter's expulsion from their app stores and making it more difficult for billions of potential users to get Twitter's services. Where are all of those billions of potential users? Why in the 16 years that Twitter existed, were those people not using Twitter? And if they already weren't using Twitter by choice, what difference will it make to them whether or not Twitter's app is on the app store? This gives Apple and Google enormous power to shape the decisions Twitter makes. And he's telling this to the child brains in the New York Times readership. This is what he wants pushed. This is our best path because the other ones have clearly failed. Apple's guidelines for developers are reasonable and plainly stated. They emphasize creating a safe experience for users and stress the importance of protecting children. This is Yoel Roth, the head of trust and safety at Twitter, who allowed child pornography and communications about child sex trafficking to exist on Twitter for years. And everyone knows it. Elon Musk knows it. And this weekend, he actually addressed it. And he said it's priority number one, removing all that stuff. In fact, a lot of it has been removed since he took over. Why wasn't it removed when Yoel Roth was the head of trust and safety if one of their primary responsibilities, according to the App Store, is the protection of children? The guidelines quote Justice Potter Stewart's, I know it when I see it, quip, saying the company will ban apps that are over the line. In practice, the enforcement of these rules is fraught. In my time at Twitter, representatives of the app stores regularly raised concerns about content available on our platform. On one occasion, a member of an app review team contacted Twitter, saying with consternation that he had searched for hashtag boobs in the Twitter app and was presented with exactly what you'd expect. Another time, on the eve of a major feature release, a reviewer sent screenshots of several days-old tweets containing an English-language racial slur asking Twitter representatives whether they should be permitted to appear on the service. And yes, all of that is so very dangerous. I mean, not as dangerous as the child pornography and the child sexual abuse material and the child sex trafficking communications that were left on Twitter the entire time with Yoel Roth's knowledge, but surely boobs are very dangerous. Reviewers hint that app approval could be delayed or perhaps even withheld entirely if issues are not resolved to their satisfaction, although the standards for resolution are often implied. Even as they appear to be driven largely by manual checks and anecdotes, these review procedures have the power to derail company plans and trigger all hands on deck crises for weeks or months at a time. You got that? We still have this big threat we can hold over Twitter. 
Whose values are these companies defending when they enforce their policies? While the wide array of often conflicting global laws no doubt plays a part, the most direct explanation is that a platform's policies are shaped by the preferences of a small group of predominantly American tech executives. Steve Jobs didn't believe porn should be allowed in the app store, and so it isn't allowed. Stripped bare, the decisions have a dismaying lack of legitimacy. It's this very lack of legitimacy that Mr. Musk correctly points to when he calls for greater free speech and for the establishment of a content moderation council to guide the company's policies, an idea Google and Apple would be right to borrow for the governance of their app stores. You got that? You got to have a council. You got to have all the special interests involved. No one who is a free speech absolutist, only the people who study this on trust and safety councils. Those are the people who should get to decide for everybody because that provides an air of legitimacy, if not real legitimacy, because that is still just a group of powerful people who get to decide everything for everyone else. And that's what they think the standard should be. They're totally fine with a small number of powerful people making all the decisions. They just want to define who that group is. But even as he criticizes the capriciousness of platform policies, he perpetuates the same lack of legitimacy through his impulsive changes and tweet length pronouncements about Twitter's rules. In appointing himself chief twit, Mr. Musk has made clear that at the end of the day, he'll be the one calling the shots. It was for this reason that I chose to leave the company. A Twitter whose policies are defined by edict has little need for a trust and safety function dedicated to its principal development. And yes, Yoel, when you fail so miserably in doing anything to protect actual people and instead just implement a censorship regime on behalf of global governing bodies and massive corporations and intelligence communities, you don't have a job. There is absolutely no need for you whatsoever. So where will Twitter go from here? Some of the company's decisions in the weeks and months to come, like the near certainty of allowing Mr. Trump's account back on the service, will have an immediate perceptible impact. Man, you should have just waited another 24 hours, Yoel. But to truly understand the shape of Twitter going forward, I'd encourage looking not just at the choices the company makes, but also how Mr. Musk makes them. Should the Moderation Council materialize, will it represent more than just the loudest, predominantly American voices complaining about censorship, including critically the approximately 80% of Twitter users who reside outside the United States? Oh, is that where all the bots are, Yoel? Will the company continue to invest in features like community notes, which brings Twitter users into the work of platform governance? Will Mr. Musk's tweets announcing policy changes become less frequent and abrupt? Who cares, buddy? Who cares? You don't work there anymore. Everybody else is just fine. It's just you guys who are upset about this stuff. In fact, it's becoming a new litmus test. If you are scared of changes in the censorship regime on Twitter and other legacy social media platforms, you're the problem, commie. In the longer term, the moderating influences of advertisers, regulators, and most critically of all, app stores may become welcome for those of us hoping to avoid an escalation in the volume of dangerous speech online. Cry more, communist. Cry more. 
Twitter will have to balance its new owner's goals against the practical realities of life on Apple's and Google's internet. No easy task for the employees who have chosen to remain. And as I departed the company, the calls from the app review teams had already begun. So he's obviously previewing a globalist attempt at getting Twitter taken off the app stores. He just reminded you there who it is that owns the internet, or at least who they believe owns the internet. Elon Musk also happens to own a satellite internet company. I wonder if that's going to play into any of this at all. But Donald Trump is back on Twitter. And what is it going to mean? Well, right now, it means that a sort of Damocles is hanging over the global communists for as long as Donald Trump wants to leave it there. Elon Musk, for the last month or so, has largely replaced Donald Trump on Twitter in the sense that, and only in this sense, that he is able to direct public attention anywhere he wants it at any given time. And that's an awful lot of power. And they're scared of it. They are scared of Elon Musk just because he possesses that power and because he is not controlled by them. But Donald Trump is the real threat here. He is the apex predator as far as they're concerned. And now he has the ability at any point to direct the conversation toward whatever he wants to talk about all over again, anytime, day or night. The communists can try whatever they want at this point, and Donald Trump can immediately call it fake on Twitter and disrupt what they're doing. It is bad enough for the people on Twitter that people like me and all the other people who have been banned and silenced on that platform are now back there and creating problems for them. If Donald Trump comes back, I don't know how they're going to deal with it. It's probably why they're pushing so hard for a Donald Trump indictment. They want to take him off the board however they possibly can, because as soon as he starts talking on Twitter again for them, it's all over. And hey, what if he says, my fellow Americans, I guess we'll see. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!